Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. I know I say at the beginning of every episode that I'm wicked excited, but today I'm extra wicked excited <laughs> to talk to my guest, John Berghoff. And I always, this is always the awkward part. Listeners, you know how I am. I always make these poor people sit here so I can just kind of pontificate and share why I'm so excited that they're here, tell you a little bit about them. And then I always say, so John, just like sit back and enjoy getting love blasted a little bit for a second. All right, here, right? let me relax. Let me just okay. <laughs> All right, so you guys, I was on this event called the Virtual Event on Virtual Events um, with Blue and Barry. These guys are like so smart, it's ridiculous. And so I knew like any speaker that they're going to bring on there is going to be like knocking out of the pack. But lo and behold, I was not prepared. I was not prepared for John Berghoff. He blew not just my mind, but he blew my socks off. He's a wicked smarty pants, number one. He's totally down to earth. He creates an experience unlike anything I've ever had before. And I was just obsessed. I was immediately obsessed. You guys know how curious I am. So I'm like, who is this dude? So I immediately, while he's still talking on the event, I sat stalking him, like Googling him. I'm like, I've got to find him. So I immediately like go on Instagram and I'm like, dude, like I'm sending him like little messages. I think even private messages while the event's going on. Will you come on my podcast? Cause I am just so jazzed about the work that he does does. And I wanted to share him with all of you. And before I, I'm not going to do this whole official bio, but I, what I am going to do is I'm going to read something that one of his friends said about him. So this is going to give you a little introduction. I don't know her last name. I do know her first name is Julie. Um, and this is what she had to say about John. She says, John is not only one of the more brilliant minds I've been privileged to learn from, but he's also a hot scented leader committed to creating a new world, focusing on and leveraging our strengths. And under John's leadership, his, so his company is called um, Exchange, and it's the exchange approach that I'm wicked excited about. So that's what she's pointing to here. Under John's leadership, the exchange team has designed and facilitated whole system change efforts through large group collaborative summits and programs for organizations that include the biggies, you guys. Listen to this, BMW, Facebook, the Army, the Navy, Vitamix, which we'll talk about, uh, and TEDx. And she says this, he's visionary, he's a trailblazer, he's a powerful facilitator, and most importantly though, he's a friend. And um, John does this thing where he helps people. I always, I just think of it like this, unlocking collective wisdom, learning how to ask better questions, which is a spiritual mentor is like the heartbeat of what I do. Um, and he, he asks, here's the question, um, an invitation for us to ask the questions, how might I connect to a deeper sense of purpose, my highest strengths, 
my best self and ultimately bring forward a new vision for the future. And I just thought to myself, who doesn't want to talk to a guy who like that's his life's work? So you guys, I introduce to you my new friend, John Berghoff. John, welcome to the show. Uh, Karen, thanks. Wow, what an intro. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Wicked happy to be here. Okay, great. So John, here's the thing I always say. There's, a, there's a, um, an artist named Gavin DeGraw. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a singer and musician. Okay. And there's a line in one of his songs that says, a part of knowing where you're going is knowing where you're coming from. So mm -hmm. I love to invite people who are on the show. Just tell us a little bit of like your origin story. Like the fact that you're like a super fancy pants, you have this amazing thing. You were one of the youngest sales guys at Vitamix and you blew up that mm -hmm. company. All that stuff's amazing. And we'll talk about that. But I want to know like, who were you as a little kid? Were like you shy? Were you a little weirdo? <laughs> like how, how did we, like how did you become the man that we now have sitting before us? What's the little wow. bit of your backstory? Well, I, I would like to go back seven lifetimes if I okay. could. Okay, yes. Go ahead, <laughs> go for it. Oh my gosh. Uh, when a unicorn intersected a jaguar <laughs> under a full moon. <laughs> Um, my goodness, gosh, thanks for bringing me back to the most traumatic years. And yeah. So I'll relive those moments. You know, actually, I was kind of, uh, what, who was I as a kid? I was, um, I was adventurous. I was, uh, I was smart I, and I was, I was socially anxious. Like yeah. when I was in high school, high, for me, my high school years are years I don't want to go back to. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, that was like a pivotal point in my younger years because I, I, I'm kind of, I'm introverted. Like I'd rather be in the middle of the woods and which is kind of interesting because all my work is leading groups of people, leading them, teaching them how to lead groups of people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, my, my younger years, uh, certainly shaped me. My parents, you know, I've learned it's, I think it's taken 20 years to realize how much I learned from my parents. Yeah. Um, my, my dad, when I was a kid, I got in and out of trouble quite a bit and he would always sit me down and say, well, what can you learn from this? And of course, in the moment, I've just, I'm sure some version of my thought was what the fuck, you know, like, don't ask me what I learned. I don't want to be in this conversation right now. Right. Fucking, I learned how much I hate it when you ask me. And, and, if, and the irony is that question is probably the question that's like permeated my soul for my whole life more than anything, which is like, how do I learn something from everything insatiably like a faucet that'll never be closed, you know? But uh, yeah, I hated when my dad would ask that, but it became such a gift. And my mom, she took a lot of risks. My, so get this, uh, my parents, you, so you asked me a question, people don't really ask me that often. So I'm going to sit here and talk I, about I want to, this is what it's all about. But I'd never talk about my parents met in the seventies working at Intel. They worked at Intel in the seventies. Wow. Yeah. My hometown as a kid was Cupertino, California, right? So here's my, you know, Apple phone. Most yes. people know Cupertino. All they know is it's the place where Apple's headquarters is. <laughs> So I grew up in, in the, the heart of the heart of Silicon Valley. Wow. And, um, and I watched my parents, you know, work their asses off. And, um, and that came with its blessings and its curses. And, um, you know, I watched them as a part of this entire, this entire region that became, that went from this like working middle 
to middle upper class to just witnessing them create these technological advancements. And um, so that was really a wild place to grow up. And um, I was kind of lonely as a kid because my Mm -hmm. parents were working all the time. It was was kind of an interesting dynamic. Well, wait, were uh, you an only child? Well, I have two older brothers, but they're half brothers. Yeah. So they were actually more like a second and third dad than um, like brothers. So it's kind of like I got the best of having brothers without getting beat up as much. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. So siblings. And, God yes, bless so, siblings. <laughs> so that's where I came from, Cupertino. I grew up there, and um, what I was gonna say is. You know, I just had kind of a seminal experience where I was really struggling in high school, socially awkward and anxious and uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, in every way I think one could be, I was, I struggled. And I got really fortunate, Karen, that I had some, uh, I, I stumbled into some entrepreneurial opportunities that were like a, like a way out for me. It, yes. it was like, it pulled me from a path that was really unenjoyable to a place where I had mentors that like they saw in me what I didn't see in myself and um, and the, and I could be myself and fit in and then I just thrived and you know that's that's kind of where things turned around for me. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So one of the other things I just want to note is that whenever you speak this happens first of all you have like the voice that was like made made oh. for radio and i'm married to it my sweetie is a professional musician so i'm I'm, okay. I'm very aware of sound and quality timber of voice and i'm like everybody always comments when you speak i could just listen to him tell stories and i would fall asleep <laughs> me on the other hand with my accent not so soothing although people all the time are like oh my god when when your book comes out nobody can do the audio but you right but so oh, first yeah. of all i love listening to you talk just kind of vibrationally oh, toby toby you. pajamas my cat apparently does too but so every so that was really great but what i what i loved about um what you just said is in one of the things i was gonna ask you please correct me if i'm wrong because i was like double tasking when i i just attended your um you guys did a workshop um the other day and i was lucky enough to be on it because i really do want to work with you guys um at some point um, and my hope was to do it in the spring and I might have to wait to the fall, which I'm wicked bummed about, but you will, I will, I will be working with you guys at some point. But so while I was listening to you teach and do your thing, I'm always kind of like, how do I say this? So much of yoga and even just trauma, right? Trauma gives us the ability to disassociate. So it, in some ways it's almost like a superpower that I can have witness consciousness. So there's a part of me, sometimes it's very present. And then there's another part of me that's watching. So while you're doing your workshop, I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm always watching how you're doing it and why you're doing it. It's like this double, double experience. And so if I get any of this information wrong, but I almost remember you saying something like you almost didn't finish high school. Yeah. You didn't go to college and that you were lucky enough to be given, I remember your exact words, an extraordinary opportunity. And it was, you think you were talking about, I don't remember her name, but I think it was the woman from Vitamix. And you were saying who became a mentor, right? Yeah, and the, right. Gra- the greatest gift that she gave you, and I want, I want you to talk about this a little bit more because this is what I try to invite people who I work with uh, into the experience as much as they can all the time, which is you said, she allowed me to be myself. 
Mm-hmm. And you felt safe enough to be yourself and somebody really saw you and that gift that you just talk about, like Mingya, all anybody wants is to be seen, to be heard, to know that they matter. And when, mm-hmm. when you do that for somebody, they will naturally, the buoyancy of your love will help them to rise. And it sounds like that's what happened for you. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, so you're, you're referencing um, about 10, 11 years ago, I, uh, I made a career transition where I, I had been working as a kind of a solo coach, consultant, trainer, so to speak. And one of my clients was the Vitamix Corporation. They make nice blenders. Oh, yes, I have you been a long Vitamix? time, long oh. time owner. Yes. Yeah. I'm a vegan. Yeah. I've been vegan for 18 years. Of course, I have a, a Vitamix, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so they were a client. And then after a couple of years, I, I jumped on board and I was overseeing their sales division. And the, uh, the CEO uh, still is today, Jody Berg. She, mm. she and her cousin, Lori Connors, these two women changed my whole life. And they, uh, through the opportunities they gave me, through the lessons they allowed me to learn, through the, just the, the way they saw into me and gave me space and, and allowed me to unlearn a lot of what I thought leadership was, which was just awesome. And it's, uh, they are both fourth generation great granddaughters of Bill Barnard, who founded Vitamix in guess what year? 1921. This is the 100 year old anniversary of a family-owned fourth-generation business, which is, you know, it's not, not common that a company makes it that far in that way. So, yeah, they, they gave me an incredible gift, and uh, I was with them in total at, between being a consultant and working there for five or so years, and it was, uh, it was an amazing journey. They, they were the ones who introduced me to some of the teachers and the teachings and the methods that helped me to realize that you know, I thought leading meant like, okay, I've got all the answers and, and I'm the one that's going to inspire others. And then I figured out really fast because I was 27 years old and I had a couple hundred people that apparently worked for me. And apparently I was supposed (laughs) to figure out shit that I had no idea what to do. I'm like, I I had these little voices. One's like, you're smart. You're the right guy for the job. And the other little voices, you have no fucking clue what to do here. (laughs) And, uh, and I got, I got lucky Karen because, because I was introduced to what really I think is the future of what it means to lead, which is, which is to really ask some different questions. You know, questions like how do we design experiences that unlock the wisdom of everybody else? Amen. And, and that's a, that was a pivotal moment for me and a great gift they gave me. I thought it was so amazing. Let's back it up a little before that in case sure, there was yeah. some, somebody else you wanted to mention because you said like right after high school, there were some entrepreneurial opportunities and you said you had some great mentors. Can you talk about the importance of mentors in your younger life? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I can't claim that I understand how the mysterious spirit of life brought these mentors to me. Yeah. Um, I do feel like it's taken me almost 20 years to learn how to take some credit for all the mentors I've had, which is a weird thing to say, right? Cause for a long time I've always felt like, Well, I got lucky in 1999, I had this guy named Dan Cassetta and somehow he found his way into my life. And then four or five years later, later, there was a guy named Mark Fisher and then it was Jody and Lori and then it was Tony and then it was David Cooperider and then Mo McKenna and Jackie Stavros. And uh, I could continue. I've had had like 10 Dan Cassettas Mm -hmm. since he was my first mentor. And one of the things that um, I think I've learned about myself and about mentorship is that 
and here's where I'll give myself a little credit. And the irony is, I think I learned this from Dan is if I can realize that everybody's a teacher to me in some way, and that as I go through life, there's going to be certain people and I won't know who they are. You could be one of them. I should assume you are. There's going to be people who could be teachers, not just in one way, but in extraordinary ways. Maybe everybody is. And I think I, it's taken a long time to look back and give myself credit for, for even when I thought I knew my shit and I, I was the shit and my shit didn't stink. <laughs> like I, I also had some part of me that was like, I can learn, I can listen. And I should, I should really lean into the wisdom that those who've come before me, the teachings and even our ancestors could pass down. And, and so, you know, I'll take a little credit for that. And I'll, I'll say one other thing about just the experience of, you know, stumbling upon and finding these mentors is I've also learned over time that as I continue to grow, that um, those who were and are and will be mentors to me, um, simultaneously, I can be mentors to them. And some of the great, great, especially women who are, who are mentors to me today, Mo McKenna and Jackie Stavros, who helped me in the early foundation of our company, they taught me, they used the word mentor. They said, well, we know you're learning from us, but we're also going to learn from you. And wow. I think the glorious gift there is them revealing to me how important it is, especially in a moment like right now, for us to honor the value of intergenerational wisdom being shared. You know, it's not like they've got the answers or I've got all the energy. We all have something uh, to share across generations. We often talk about the need for inclusion and diversity and equity, and these are important conversations. But I think what I've realized is there's many dimensions, including, you know, the, the mix of generational wisdom. So... Those are things that come up when I think about mentorship. Yeah, it's so powerful what you're saying. And as a mentor, of course, I love hearing this. And I, I always say to people, you know, good mentors, you know, a good mentor always is smart enough to have good mentors. <laughs> so <laughs> I've, yeah. I've been lucky enough to have some really great mentors in my life too, Marianne Williamson being one of them. And, um, you know, when I think about, when I think back on that too, like so many people always want to know, how did you meet Marianne Williamson? How did that happen? Like this whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, like on some level, I've never really thought about it that way. Like I have to give myself maybe a little bit of credit that some part of me, even though I was this tough kid from like Boston, like, you know, like Dukes up this whole thing. There was a part of me that was humble enough to, to stay. I, I use a word that's not even really a word. I said, I stayed learnable. I stayed mm -hmm. learnable. And um, Rabadranath Tagore has a quote that I love that speaks exactly to this. And he says that, everything that belongs to us, everything that is ours, everything that belongs to us will come to us if we create the capacity to receive it. Mm, and yeah. I think some part of you must have just created the capacity to receive uh, these relationships, the communications. Uh, and, you know, as soon as we say, I know we're fucked, right? Like mm. so often, so often it's like, oh, I know, I know, I know. I say to my clients all the time, and, and for those of you who are listening, you know me well enough to know that I say this with love. Um, I always say to them, you don't know. No, you don't fucking know. Because if you knew, you wouldn't be paying me money to help you. Like if you knew, <laughs> and, there, and there's this, this ancient Zen proverb that says, to know and not yet do mm. is to not know. Mm, so yeah. as soon as I dropped, as soon as I first of all accepted, you know, my mother, you, you don't know this about me. I'll just very quickly. My mother was murdered when I was 12. It was brutal. Uh -huh. It was violent. She was beaten to death. I suffered a lot as a kid. I had a lot of trauma, whatever. Um, and at some point, I, I, I think I thought to myself, not 
you know, it probably took me even years beyond this to put words to it. But some part of me realized, well, my way wasn't working anymore. There must be a better way. Yeah. And as soon as I stopped with the I know and I put my dukes down, I became teachable. Mm. And that was yeah. like the difference in my life. And it just sounds like, I mean, different experiences, but it sounds to me like, you know, you remained and remain. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted you on here, because even though you're wicked smart and you lead these things and you have this big company and you grew Vitamix to like some obscene, like 8 million to 140, I don't even, I got the number written down somewhere. It was crazy. Like you grew this thing. You have always remained to me in, in, in the now three times, four times I've interacted with you, um, incredibly humble open, like just open mind. I, I always talk about it like this, generous listening. Let's be open-eared, open-minded, open-hearted. Mm. And you seem to show up that way. And I, I, I was just really curious to, part of this conversation is for me too, because I'm like, I just want to know you more. I'm like, who is this dude? And, you know, I love what you're doing. And so when you were talking about all these mentors and these women, and you said like, and I, I can't stop thinking about what your dad said to you your dad knew how to ask the right question. <laughs> and now this informs all the work you do. So uh, can, yeah. we, can we talk about exchange and kind of how you went from being this like superstar, you know, youngest person in Vitamix to grow the thing. We could even talk numbers if you want, but you grow this whole thing, but then how do you transition out of that? Like what is the birth story of exchange? Yeah, yeah, well, and I, I wrote that phase down the capacity to receive I thanks for sharing that Karen. you're welcome honey um so it's uh while while I was at Vitamix there was um there was this experience and I mentioned earlier Jody and Lori kind of opened me to th think about or to realize that there's that there might be a new way to lead at least new to me and what I started to realize is that we, we were trying to navigate a lot of opportunity, challenge, change, growth, and many other buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> and, as, and innovation and engagement. Uh, and, and as we're trying to navigate all this stuff that I've got this voice in my head that's like, I got one voice that says, and, and I'd be curious how many people could be listening to this, including aliens, thousands of years from now. Right. Um, and thinking to themselves, they've got one little voice. I had one voice that was like, I'm smart, I have experience, I can do shit. And I had another little voice that was like, you have no idea what you're doing. Who the fuck are you to do this? Yeah, and, <laughs> and I think I've come to realize that all of these voices are fine. They're always gonna be there and they're, yeah. all, they're all great. And if I can get the right one to turn on and the right ones to shut up at the right times. And, um, and what I realized is that there was a solution that allowed me to, to actually acknowledge both voices and to say, yeah, I've got strengths, but I also don't have the answers to the most important challenges, and that's great. So Exchange was born unknowingly to me when I learned about several uh, large group uh, methodologies. Appreciative inquiry is one, design thinking, um, uh, open space, world cafe, and what are all of these? Um, they're all different methodologies and, and sets of tools to bring groups of people together, to enable those groups of people to solve a problem, work better together, shape their future, capture an opportunity, that kind of thing. And so over the time I was there, what I realized is, hey, 
if I, if I can figure out what questions to ask and bring the right people into the room and then give them the questions, amazing things can happen. For example, I remember when we brought our senior leadership team together just a couple months after I started there. Mm-hmm. I brought everyone in the room and I gave them this question. I said, why is the work that we do as a team important? And I, I asked that sincerely not knowing how they'd answer and wanting to know how they thought about that answer. And what I years later realized I was doing was inviting the team to reflect and from within connect to a sense of purpose. Why is what we're doing important here? And in years later, I realized how much more important that was than me telling our senior leaders, here's why what we do is important, right? And then, you know, as we continued and we'd put more people in the room, we'd put our whole sales force in the room, we'd run these meetings with 50 and 100 and 400 people in a room Amazing. and we would, we would hand out questions like, what are we learning right now? What's working? And we'd break our sales force into small teams of five and six and they would share stories of what was working. And then they'd, they would uh, vote up the story that they thought the rest of the room should hear and we would be organically crowdsourcing panels. And it was like, as we're making this all up, we're like, this seems like a good idea. <laughs> and, hey, hey, this shit works, you know? Yeah, and, 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 and you know, we were guided by our teachers who were telling us that, hey, these methodologies where you give questions to others and you choreograph conversations, right? We're asking them questions like what's working, share stories of what's working in the field and then let's study those stories and then let's let's report out on, okay, what are the facts, what is it that we're doing when we're at our best? So it's not just the stories, let's learn from those stories. Yes. And then bringing our management teams together and instead of myself as the one or myself and our seven senior leaders, we would have 30, 40, 50, members of our whole management from every continent would come together and we'd break into teams and we'd all envision our future. And then we'd present that future to each other. And then we'd explore what images we were seeing. And every single time, Karen, it was so much greater than what I could have ever seen. And, um, and when today we call that how to listen at scale, right? How to, how to, how to scale up curiosity. Mm. Um, and these, so these were the kinds of things we were doing at Vitamix. And then I eventually, uh, I got invited to start teaching through the Weatherhead School of Management, um, some of the things that I was doing. And so I started teaching these one day seminars and, uh, and I started realizing, wow, I ought to see if I could bring this work to the world. So long, <laughs> hey, hey, long, sto- long story know. longer. I, I might yeah. want to consider, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know, if, if this stuff was amazing here, amazing the imagine the impact it could have and i'm telling you dude like as soon as i heard you speak like my brain just started going i'm like this is so fascinating because i'm always trying to become a better communicator and so much of like like how do i say this so as a yoga teacher i was always the one at the front of the room i was the one who was supposed to have the answers i was the one who was supposed to know how to you know not just even tell people what to do, but then physically manipulate their bodies, right? And say like, think this, do this, do this. So it was a really fascinating thing. And when you were talking on the workshop, so first of all, I got to enjoy you um, in like a 30 minute, I don't even know if it was 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes on Blue and Barry's event. And I was just like, holy shit. And then immediately it said, Mm. you know, there was a link like, hey, we're doing this workshop. It's gonna be like three hours long. I was like, like signed up for that sucker. (laughs) So I just, I got to be immersed in your experience and the way you guys do things twice already. And I'm definitely signing up for one of the trainings and I'll, I'll tell you guys when they're, when they're happening. There's one in March and one in May coming up. Um, but I remember just like listening and thinking, oh, 
because in yoga, you know, the word guru is, is, is used a lot. And the word guru literally means like the one who brings light to darkness, the one who brings uh, truth to ignorance, right? Mm, but so yeah. I thought to myself, okay, this is the age of moving from the guru to the group. Yeah. And I thought this is fascinating, um, especially in the work that I do um, when I do like spiritual retreats and transformational retreats, like everybody's there, like looking at you, like waiting for you to like bestow this wisdom. And the first thing I have them do is take a moment to reflect on something themselves. And then they do little groups. But this was just something I'm telling you, I pulled it out. Like, I didn't even know some part of me must have known, have them talk to each other and then have them come back and talk about what they just shared. But I came from the storyteller's perspective, not necessarily your thing. So your work just felt, feels so organic and natural. And, and, and as I'm learning more about why you do what you do, I'm like, of course, aha, yes, this is why this works. And I remember one day, I'll tell you a little story because I'm a storyteller. Yeah, cool. So I remember one day, uh, Marianne Williamson was uh, my friend and mentor, and she's kind of like my spiritual godmother. She was doing a talk at um, Harvard Divinity School. She was here in Boston. Uh, so like, I, I, I'm in New Hampshire, but I went to see her speak. And I remember somebody in the back of the room raising their hand and she calls on them and they say, hey, we're starting this initiative for this, this, and this. Will you lead it? Will you become our thing? And she was talking about, I'll never forget her saying this. And she says, I'm not really interested right now in leading anything. And she said, the age of the soloist is over. It's the time of the choir. <laughs> and I just thought that is so brilliant. And she said, because what do they do to the soloist? So we were talking about cultural change and leadership and all these things. But she said, what do they do to all the soloists? And we're like, well, look what happened to Gandhi. Look at what happened to Martin Luther King Jr. Look at what happened to the Kennedy brothers, right? She's like, they try to kill the soloists, right? But she's like, but they can't kill all of us. And I just thought, mm -hmm. oh my God, collective voice is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were talking about how do we move in this experience of when you have people ask questions, uh, and always, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm kind of pulling this from memory. You go yeah. from like the individual and the like personally individual. Yeah. And then you go to the group, like relationally, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you kind of come back together collectively and then you share, right? So can you just talk about your, if you feel comfortable, like sharing of course, your yeah. process a little bit? Oh, why yeah. Why that's so impactful? Yeah, absolutely. And I, so, yeah, let's unpack that process. Yeah, we, we share everything anybody ever wants to know about. Like, we believe that the energy of information is seeking to be free. So it's like, <laughs> we, there's nothing we do that we wouldn't share, even if someone's paying us a lot over here for it, um, because the world needs this kind of thing, we believe. So I, I want to just acknowledge this first, this idea that the age of the soloist is over and it's the time of the choir. Um, what year was that when Marianne Williamson? Marianne said that uh, probably, I want to say four years. I can tell you the exact date because I can pull it up on my camera. Sure. But I yeah. think it was like, I want to say 2000, I don't know, I'd say like three, four years ago she said it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But cool. I can tell you the exact day and stuff later if you need it. Well, it's okay. I just want to acknowledge that if there's, a, there's an idea that was presented uh, a handful of years ago that suggests we might now live in a time. It was presented by a guy named Eric Teller. He was a head of Google X for many years. He might still be actually. Um, 
he presented this idea that the world is changing faster than our ability to adapt to that change, right? Which, you know, that that, that could be true. <laughs> well, no, it's I think it's definitely true. And I saw your that graph that you do where you do like time. Yeah, we draw a little like, picture of this idea. Yeah, to help yeah. us to help us to see that intersection. We've now surpassed, and I think our nervous systems talk about trauma. I think our nervous systems yeah. are so overwhelmed by like we're fire hose with so much information. Yeah, yeah. Well, when when and if this is true, that the world is changing in this way, like so there's consequences to this and our process is a response to the consequence. Mm. So on the micro level, you know, if you think about it as a yoga teacher, what are you trying to help people do? You're trying to help them to be, you're teaching them how to have a conversation between themselves and their bodies and their spirit, right? Amen. And, and hopefully to where they can become present on the subtlest level to to find a power within right so that in moments when they're struggling you know they can connect to what they've been what they've been building when they're on the mat right when they're on the mat it's like in that moment where the demand they put on themselves is greater than the feeling they have to be able to meet that demand the capacity to meet it yes yeah you're equipping them for when that happens every day in life well when the world's changing faster than we can deal with it on a macro scale right now more than ever before there's a micro consequence to that and the micro consequence to this global experience of us all feeling like we're facing challenges that we don't have the resources for is we go into cycles of reactivity mm. and we get stressed about how stressed we are right. and we have more <laughs> self-doubt than we've ever had and that's yes. dangerous that's dangerous <laughs> and so as a yoga teacher um as a facilitator as a coach a leader a teacher i think all of us know that for ourselves and those we help, we're trying to help them to shift from that downward to an upward spiral. And our passion at exchange is, how do we do that at scale? Anytime a group of people come together, and as you've seen now three times, even in a Zoom room, it works really well. It's, it's actually crazy how simple the experience is once we know what we're doing. So the, this process that you're asking about is actually built on, number one, a paradigm shift that says, we no longer live in a time where a few of us have the answers, and we now have to design conversations that unlock uh, potential wisdom, strength, everything good at scale from as many people as we can bring together, right? So that's the, the paradigm shift that I learned from Jody and Lori that Marianne Williamson was acknowledging. The age of the soloist is over. It's the time of the choir, right? It's the sage on the stage being replaced by, like, we really think the superpower of this generation is to learn how to be the guide on the side that enables that <laughs> wisdom to come out at scale. That's what we're doing, right? Yes. So, so that's the paradigm behind it all. So then the next question is, how do you actually do it? If you're listening to this and you think, well, that sounds like as a leader, a teacher, a coach, I ought to figure out how to do this. Well, so it's actually embarrassingly simple once you, <laughs> once you bring it all down to what does it actually look like? And this is what you're asking. It starts with understanding two fundamental things. Number one, how crazy uh, powerful questions are, yes. right? Yeah. So like I'll give away all the examples we want right now about questions, and, but we have to understand the power of them before we're gonna be good enough at using the tool. So here's the simplest way I can reveal that power. If somebody has a lens in front of their eyes, right? Where's my, uh, here we go, here's, here's some glasses right here. <laughs> <laughs> so if I put a lens in front of my eye, the interesting thing about a lens, if you think of a lens as a metaphor for the questions that we are asking consciously or often unconsciously, 
that lens will change what I see, how I see it. Frankly, it'll just change my world before I even open my eyes, which is why we say our questions change the future before the answers even arrive. So we have to give questions, curiosity, the kind of reverence that it deserves. Amen. Right? And so we'll t we can talk about what are the kinds of questions that we could bring to a group. But then there's the second fundamental key, which is what you're asking about. You're like, okay, John, there's this three-step process. It always starts with a question or questions, but then it's moving a group into some conversations. Mm -hmm. And here's what's really important about conversations, because if we don't honor what is happening in a conversation, we'll never really give it the attention it deserves. And there's a few things. Number one is, when you take a group, let's say you've got five or 10 or 50 or 500, it doesn't matter. You saw me do this with 1,200. If you take a group and then you invite them into a small group experience, two, three, six, 20, and depending on what you're doing, there's different reasons for different size groups. It is in that small group where things become possible that are not possible anywhere else. For example, the ability for somebody to feel seen, heard, and felt is faster and more natural in a small group than anywhere else, right? And if we're talking about psychological safety, I've got it on my desk, like McKinsey published February 11th. When is that? Is that today? Um, today is the today is the 11th. Okay, so I got a report right here published on psychological safety. I, I've already read it and I'm gonna tell you, it's good, it's great, but a lot of people are gonna read it and they're gonna say, how the fuck do we actually do it? <laughs> How do you actually create psychological safety? Because um, it's such a kind of macro meta-analysis on the whole field of leadership development. Well, here's what's really, really cool, is if we honor the work of Amy Edmondson, who first wrote about psychological safety, I believe it was in 1999, 22 years ago, you can kind of deconstruct, at least we have, the practical, uh, the practical vehicle for safety, which is voices need to be invited into a conversation in an equal sense. Yes. Right? There needs to be, you got to give space for people to literally be seen, heard, and felt. So when you bring a larger group into small groups or you give everyone space to share their insight in response to the question, safety can ensue in a very organic, natural, repeatable way where you can almost engineer it in any group setting. Um, there's other values to these small group interactions. But the process that you've witnessed, Karen, is really, it's, it's basically three steps. And we have, where is it? I don't have it in front of me here. We have a playbook. There's like th a 37 page step-by-step. -step. There's a script and we give this away to the world. We can give it to your listeners. Um, we should come up with a URL. So it's X change, letter X, the word change, <laughs> excuse me, approach.com forwards. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, X change approach. Uh, dot com forward slash Karen. That's what we're gonna. That's where we're gonna right. send them. I'm yeah. writing this down. Like Karen, and this playbook unpacks everything I'm talking about, probably much uh, more clearly than I'm saying it. But for anyone who's listening, the three-step process that we move groups through. Now, there's an infinite number of ways and variations and derivatives, and we can train you on that. But the three-step process is hand out a question, mm -hmm. create space to reflect on that question send them into small groups to explore that question and then bring them all back to the larger group and then invite voices to share in the larger group what happened in the smaller group. Now, what I just described, we, as you pointed out, we every once a month, we do a, a workshop open to the public where I or our faculty 
actually lead this experience. Yes. Um, and then we deconstruct it. And if someone grabs the playbook, they can find whenever our next workshops will be. Um, but we've been running this. So last in the last 12 months, we have led it's our own kind of research experiment of sorts where that activity that you've now seen a few times in the last couple of weeks, we've done that for probably six or 7,000 people. And we ask them in real time every time, what, what happened? What did you notice? What was that like? And so we have a t ton of data on this. And across the board, it's like unanimous speed of human connection. The speed at which shit gets real is what people are noticing is possible when this stuff is done right. So the three-step processing is you give people a question, drop them into a small group, bring them out, let them share out loud. And, and let's give like a couple examples of questions. Obviously, there's, it should always be purposeful to serve the group or the setting or whatever's going on. Um, so if we have a sales team that we bring together, you know, the question could be, Hey, in the last 30 days, think of a story or an example of the most successful experience you've seen, heard, or felt in the field, go in groups and share that study your stories and then come back and let's learn about what we're learning together. Um, we bring, uh, we bring coaches and teachers together all the time when they come through our trainings and when they come through our trainings, we'll give them a question and a question like, um, you know, what have you learned in the last 12 months about being a coach, teacher, leader? And, and all we're doing is we're sourcing wisdom from the participants. Yes. But at the same time, what's, what's amazing is we're not only learning because we're honoring experiential learning theory by reflecting and reflecting on our reflections. <laughs> um, we're bought into the learning because it came from within. But we're also building connection and community with those who we're learning with. Yes. And that's really exciting. Because that's kind of a business model of the future is to turn customers into communities. And there's no way to turn any group into a community without A, them feeling safe. There's no way to feel safe without these small interactions where the better nature of our humanity will show up. B, they need to feel like they're connected to the same story. What's the bigger purpose that we're a part of? And so actually in our trainings, the first question we ask is, why does the whole world need us in this training right now? And in 20 minutes or less, we have 80 strangers every other month discover what their legitimately shared purpose is before we spend the next three days going through the journey we go on. Um, so whether it's uncovering lessons, connecting to a sense of purpose, uh, connecting to the future that we want, either collectively or individually, or committing to actions that we're going to commit to, there's different types of questions. Um, but that's the process. And I hope that gives somebody something either to think about or it hopefully maybe it confuses somebody into downloading the playbook, which will clear no, up. No, I think it'll be I think it'll be amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of that. And I think <clears throat> I think people are definitely gonna want to download that sucker. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> but I think so two things that popped up into my head. I remember you talking about um, you know, asking questions, of course, but it's the quality of a question. And I so I want to yeah. talk about that and I'm gonna just plant this seed so I don't forget. So maybe hopefully you will <laughs> if I forget, but also talking about how this is possible both in person and online, because I think, you know, with, with the state of the world right now, I don't think everything's going to go back to in person. And I know somebody out there right now is asking the question, can we create safety, um, especially at scale, especially in the kind of work that I do as a spiritual mentor, where a lot of people, very private, personal, you know, things get discussed, whatever, especially in my membership, that's a spiritual membership, whatever. Um, so I want to go back to the online bit, but the quality of the question, and I remember, and again, please correct me if I get it wrong, but I remember you saying something about a question has to be um, accessible, 
Like you have to be able to extract the essence of it in four words or less. Yeah. It has to be relevant, right? Is that number two? And then the other one, yeah. and, and, and it's so perfect because for those of you who are watching this and not listening, John has behind, well, first of all, right on his forehead, smack dab, third eye forehead. He's got an infinity symbol, which I just laugh because infinity symbol is like life. Uh, and it, it, for me, I just love it. It's like eight's my favorite number. And it's like, and now it makes so much sense to me. Eight turned on its side is that symbol. So I love that you're wearing that through this. Whole, I keep staring at it the whole time you're talking. But he also <laughs> has behind him this beautiful long poster, which is going to lead right into number three of sunflowers. Yeah, and the yeah. sun in the background in this field and it's so beautiful and you can't help but feel good every time john leads something because you, you're blasted with this life-giving thing but that's <laughs> number three um you said the question has to have because the answer you all you always say this the answer is in nature we find the answer right in nature yeah and the question has to have a heliotropic effect which is life-giving so we want to ask questions that are life-giving so can you just dive into that a little bit yeah, of course. And um, uh, so let me answer the very first question you asked, which is, does this stuff work online? Yes, phenomenally, and in many ways better than in a room. Period, end stop, no questions. <laughs> we trained 400 people in our immersion training. Well, no, 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 we trained, well, I don't, I've lost track. Yeah, probably north of 400 in our immersion trainings in the last 12 months. Um, I personally ran over 40 full day experiences last year with between 50 and 200 people in these, we have more than enough data to tell us. Like the, the hundreds of folks that came through our three-day immersion last year, we ask them every day different questions. How you doing? What are you liking? What do you need? What can we do? 9.6 out of 10, 400 people, three-day immersion. That's what they rated that training. Wow. Um, it's, that's amazing. We're getting, we're getting better outcomes online than we used to in person. It works phenomenally well. I have, a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts about that, which we don't have time to discuss, but I think something about being able, like right now, right? I'm wearing like one of my favorite hoodies. I'm in my own environment yeah. and I feel <laughs> safe. And the fun thing about that too, John, is like one of the exercises you do where you have people go and we actually oh, do yeah. this, we do a version of this in the writing programs that I do where we have um because what is writing right often it's an internal conversation and communication we'll often have an item that we use as a prompt so i just mm -hmm. love that you start a conversation with an item and if somebody's in their home surrounded by the familiar i think oh, yeah. an automatic feeling of safety kind of happens so yeah. i think you guys are wicked smart like i don't know exactly what you're doing but it all i'm like okay. <laughs> But I'm going to learn because I'm going to learn what you're doing because I'm fascinated. If you can't tell, I'm so curious and fascinated by this whole process. So, yes, I so those of you who are listening, who are asking, can we create safety online? I can tell you that because I have an online membership. Yes, you can. And is I guarantee you the nest is going to get even better the more I hang out with this smarty pants. So I'm <laughs> well, so I'm so excited. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about the sunflowers. I want to answer yes, that question. Please do. It, it's a great question. Yeah. And the point about the props. Remember this: the offices and houses that people are sitting in. It's a box full of props. So there's there is an infinite number of ways to have people almost forget they're having a digital experience. Say, hey, go grab something. You're going to come back and you're going to go into a room and you're going to tell a story about it. Go find something that makes you smile. Find something that connects you to what you love, that reminds you why being here today is important. Go find something that symbolizes the story of transformation you want to create for yourself or others. Like you can take any question and have people go grab a physical artifact, come back, 
create or make or remake stories about their lives with these props. So I love that. You asked about- I love that. You, it's your stuff. It's you. Yeah. It's your stuff. I love it too. Well, then I really do love it. Yeah, it's um, perfect. So you, you asked about like the science of question design and you, wow, great job catching whatever we rattled off in one of our workshops. Three, three keys to great question design. Number one is, are they accessible? Right. So, and what makes a question accessible? Well, when I just rattled off all those examples, like why is being here important today? When is a time you were at your best? What could we learn from these stories? What have you learned about dealing with change? What do you, what do you, what can you appreciate in your life right now? Um, no matter how the world changes, what do you want to nurture, protect and preserve? What new future do you want to be celebrating with me 12 months from now? How are we going to make this? Every one of these questions, the essence of the question is about four or five words or less, right? And, and we do, we teach others how to facilitate in very high stakes, complex, and every imaginable environment. Every type of question distilled about five or six essential questions. In all of them, the essence has to be accessible in a few words or less. So that's what Can we you mean. Give me an example. Give me an example of a question you might ask and yeah. like then break, get, get down to the hot beat of the thing. Can you give us a, a, an experience? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one of the first questions that we would ask in many gatherings at the very start is a question that connects the group to a sense of purpose, right? And let me give you two types of purpose questions. The most foundational purpose question would be a question like, why is it important that we, that we chose to be here today? Or why is it important that you chose to be here? And um, now we might even give that question um, a couple of layers for the participants to reflect upon. Here's an example. So if I was giving a question, if I was giving this question to a group right now, can I model for you exactly how? Oh I my God. Yeah, Go, I'm in, I'm in, let's do All right. it. Now, normally I have my music queued up, but I don't have my Bluetooth <laughs> plugged in. Um, uh, so what I would do is I'd say, hey, before we get going any further, we're going to anchor ourselves in a sense of why we're here. How many of you can relate to this, that sometimes you get into a gathering, into a conversation, into a learning journey without getting anchored in why it's even important, right? So here's what the question we're going to give you. The question is, why is it important that we chose to be here today? Why is it important that you chose to be here today? And I'll give you a minute or two to reflect on this question. And as you reflect on the question, I invite you to explore what comes up across one of maybe two or three different levels. Number one, why is it important to be here just for you, for yourself? Maybe there's something that comes up when you think about why is it important to be here just for me? Number two, why is it important to be here when you think about those who you touch in your life, those who you serve, those who you lead, those... Uh, who, when you leave here, you'll be interacting with. Why is it important to them that you're here? I'll give you a third dimension at which you could think about this question. Why is it important to the whole world that you're here? You know, is there some impact that is potentially made because you're here that'll create ripples that you'll never actually see? Why is it important that we're here? And Karen, this question here, I would then give a group time to reflect on it, send them into groups, let them share with each other, bring them back, and then let folks share in front of the whole room. So... What I just did, is, there's a couple things going on at the same time. One is before I even gave you the question, I enrolled you in the question. I enrolled you by saying, how many of us have come to a gathering where we get down to business, but we don't pause and we get anchored in why is this even important? That's called an enrollment statement. 
yeah. which now we're getting into the psychology of group gatherings. Um, a, a masterful facilitator understands that what they're really doing is energy work. Yes. And yeah. all masterful facilitation is about preservation of participant energy so that they can generate energy within the, gu the guardrails that we're giving them. So uh, there's a psychology to yeah, any yeah. group facilitation, which starts with realizing that I've got to enroll or you know influence <laughs> or sell the group on why this question is even a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Why is their ass even in the chair? Why are they here? Like what you know? Because they are leaving yeah. something that's important to them, their family, their life, whatever. <laughs> yeah. To, to give you their time, their attention, their energy, their presence. And if you can't enroll me, like little kids are so good at enrolling you, right? It's yeah. like, let me break down for you why you should give me this cookie, right? Let, let me explain to you why you should let me stay up later. Like watch kids because they're genius enrollers, right? And so it's like, why am I here? So as soon as you make it important to them, why they should be not just involved, but present in the experience. And I've watched you do it now like several times. And I'm always like, again, like I said, I try to be deeply present. But at the same time, as a facilitator, I'm trying to learn and understand what you're doing when you're doing it. And I, I have to tell you, I'm not just kissing your ass or sucking up. Um, you know, I already had you on my show, so you know I like you. But there's a part of me that's like, fuck, John's masterful at this. And I just like, it's literally like, you know, uh, Mr. Miyagi. I'm like, okay, he's doing wax on, wax off, but there's a reason, there's a deeper reason why he's doing this. And so I just, I am fascinated by watching you work. And, um, and again, whatever, that's just a little love note. But I just think this is so incredible because I've seen it in action. Like I've been somebody that you've put into a breakout room. Mm. I've had connection with, with other human beings who all look different than me, were older than me, were younger than me, different colored skin than me, grew up, didn't have my accent, different places all over the world. And I think it's so important if you're listening in case you didn't catch it, um, when he says we break them into smaller groups, you guys, that's a Zoom breakout room. You just put them into a Zoom breakout room and then you bring them back to the Logic Collective and then they can yeah. share. So sorry to interrupt, I just got wicked excited. No. So go ahead, continue. Yeah, well, you'd asked about those the keys to question design and enrolling a group in what we're doing or what questions we're asking, that's part of what makes the question accessible. The way that I slow my, so this gets very technical, right? We're gonna yeah. get really tactical yeah. here, but like even how I'll slow my tempo down and even how I'll buy time and give space to allow the question to land. Those are all keys to making it accessible, including the simplicity of the, of the essence of the question. Why is it important that we're here? Um, the second is making the questions relevant. So let me, sh let me share a variation on that same question. So if we go into an organization, a team, and they're trying to solve some big problem or work better together, we often will start with a question to re-anchor everybody in a deep sense of purpose. We're not gonna stand there and tell them why this meeting or why this convening is important. We're gonna let it come from within. And an, a variation on a purpose question would be to ask the group this, before we get into the work that we're here to do, we want to invite all of us to think about of all the experiences that we've had as a team or as an organization. We want to invite each of you to go back and think of an experience that reminds you more than any other why the world needs us here today. Mm. And that might be a story of a transformation we created for a customer of ours. It may be a beautiful story about some way that we created a, a glorious experience for one of our employees, but we want all of us to think about stories that remind us why 
the world needs us here right now. So that's a variation where you actually connect to a sense of purpose through a story. Adam Grant calls that outsourcing purpose. Just pull the stories right into the room that remind us of the moments that are really fulfilling and purposeful, but we lose connection to those. But that's an example of how to make a question relevant. And then finally, the third key to great question design, you asked about the sunflowers, Yes. is we want questions to be life-giving. And in nature, everything grows towards the sun, right? And there's a name for that. It's called the heliotropic effect. And, um, you know, my best attempt to summarize that word or the meaning of it is we grow towards that which gives us life. Mm -hmm. And so we want questions that are generative and life-giving. You know, when, why is being here important? That generates something significant. When have we been at our best? What can we learn right now? Uh, what is our highest future look like? And someone hearing this, Karen, could think, but does that mean we ignore our challenges or our problems? Not at all. Because even in the face of great challenges, we could ask, you know, e even if in a small group we're talking about how we're struggling, being seen, heard, and felt is actually a life-giving experience in the middle of a struggle. Yeah. I just got wicked excited because so you may not have known this because I, I remember you kept saying, oh, my ADHD kind of loves the chat box. So I'm going to shut it off. <laughs> so I would but I would catch what people were writing and yeah. somebody wrote. And this is what I wanted to share with you. Take it or leave it. Somebody yeah. thought you said we grow towards that, which gives us light. Oh. And I thought, oh, that works, too, because light will yeah. shine on, on an area of struggle or darkness. It will bring, right, like whiz, like the light will shine onto even the things that are hot. And that is still life giving. So I was just yeah. sharing that with you because I didn't know if you, you saw that in the, in, the, in the chat box. But I think it's so powerful. No, we don't ignore it, right? Yeah. But yeah. like, so, so much of this work and I'm, I'm, we have, we have five, four minutes, five minutes left. <laughs> I know you got to go pick up kids. Um, so I just wanted to, before we, I didn't want to rush you off here. I just want to say thank you so much for all the wisdom that you shared. I just am so excited. You guys, I want you to know this, that the, the next events coming up, he has two three-day trainings coming up and I desperately want to attend, but I don't think I'm going to be able to swing it for a couple of different reasons. But um, I was like hovering over the thing and then I had to, I'm trying to get my book done and finish my book and I'm kind of committed to that, that manuscript right now, but they've got oh, two trainings. Congrats. Thank you, sweetheart. But yeah. you're not done with, you will see my ass in one of your trainings. Uh, <laughs> March 23rd through the 25th, they have one coming up. You guys, these sell out fast. Don't drag your feet. If you're sitting on the fence, get your ass off the fence and just go do it. Uh, and then May 4th through the 6th, they have another one. And then there's a deeper way to work with you guys, but you gotta, I think you gotta do the training first to become a facilitator of this work, yeah. which is what I'm really maybe interested in in the long run, but I'm just so fascinated. So is there anything that I forgot to ask you? Anything that you're dying to share with us? Anything that like, um, you know, just in case there's, is there anything else before we tell them how to find you? Oh, well, I, Karen, it was so great to get to connect with you today. I'm so glad we got to do this. And uh, if somebody is still actually listening this far into this episode, <laughs> there should be some sort of extraordinary reward, right? Like, I, I should have actually prepared some amazing, is there anything else? Um, you know, I, I think I, I would love to leave everybody with this thought. Um, and and it's, it's maybe the thing I've been, I've been personally most curious about in the last year of my life. 
um, is in a moment of challenge and stress, which the last year is, is in our business is flourishing, but at the same time we can flourish and have a lot of despair. Um, and there's a lot of despair in this world and, and who's to know what's next for all of us. But one thing Karen, I've really been exploring is in my toughest moments, uh, what's the most important invitation to give as I am being curious and my deepest learning is how important it is to be compassionate, compassionate for myself, compassionate for others. And, um, and that's carried me. It's carried our team. It's carried those who we've taught and who we're leading in ways that I, I just wouldn't even have thought of a year ago. So for anyone who's listening, uh, whether you're thriving or striving, struggling, winning, um, this is a moment in time to give ourselves compassion as we're all navigating, like who knows what the hell the new normal, unnormal, whatever the fuck that's going to be. Right, exactly. It's not going to be anything any of us <laughs> think, right? Um, and we got to be compassionate with ourselves, with yeah. those around us, with those we are given the privilege to serve. And so I'm, I'm reminding myself right now uh, to be compassionate. And Karen, thank you for what you do, because I know you help a lot of people. Thank you, sweetheart. That means a lot. And, um, you know, one of my big three, one of my core values is compassion. So I was so happy that we ended on that note. And you guys, you know me, you, you already know if you, I know you've listened to this whole thing, because how can you not? You're compelled. It's compelling. It's compelling. And um, now you guys know why, like, I was like, this has to happen. And I just love John. And I, sometimes I cross these boundaries of familiarity. So I hope it's not a big deal, but I'm like, I'm like, I love this guy. I got to know him. I want him in my world. I want to get into to their world and exchange so they can find you at, can you spell it out? So people understand. Yeah. Uh, the exchange approach. And it's the letter X, the word change X change approach.com. And then go to X change approach.com forward slash Karen. And, we'll and we will have uh, the playbook for you. And they could find us through that any way that they would like. So, John, if somebody can't make the uh, March and May um, events, and they, they might want to, because it's going to be a lot of people who coach, consult, and uh, gather in groups. Um, yeah. is, do you know, is it like every couple of months or whatever you guys do the three-day trainings? Yeah, it's about every couple months. The March one, um, I think today, what's the date today? I don't know. Today, February 11th. As of today, it, there's like, 10 spot. There's a chance that'll probably be closed by the time this is released. And then, so the, we've got May and then we'll probably do one maybe two months after that. Um, you know, we redesigned and invented everything we do when COVID got here. So we've just been, been doing these about every couple months. And at some point we'll get back in a physical room together, but so much is possible digitally that, uh, yes. Even when we get back in a physical, I'm glad we didn't start on that. Well, that's a that's about a two hour thing. I know. The future <laughs> of convenings. I can't wait to talk about that with you. It's uh, it's not going to be what we think. It's not going to be what we think. Well, um, I'll have to have you come back because I'm wicked curious about that conversation too. I don't yeah. think I don't think we're going to go fully back too. And as an introvert who makes herself like you do extroverted things. I, I don't have really a problem with online. And as a physical person, yoga teacher, I love, I'm known for my hands-on assist. So I love getting my hands on people because I also have done Thai yoga massage for many, many years. I don't do that anymore. I actually don't teach yoga yeah. anymore. I only, I reserve it, special occasions. My sweetie and I, uh, my husband is a professional musician. So once in a blue moon at my events, we do live music and yoga together and stuff. But I think, I think a lot is going to stay 
in the virtual space, but I yeah. think that your tools are so applicable anywhere and what a gift it's going to be to so many. And you guys, here's what I know to be true is that um, our world is going to be a better place with more exchanges of this kind uh, in the world. So John, thank you so much for doing what you do, for following the call of your hat, for being an inspiration, for being just so warm and lovely. And uh, it's been a total pleasure and I hope to have you back again sometime soon. Thank you, Karen. Thank You're you. Welcome. So you guys, as you know, I always end the show by saying thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. I celebrate you. I see you. I feel you. Uh, wherever you go, may you leave the people, the place, the environment, the animals better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite part was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. -E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.